Time is completely without meaning. Not just here, in this strange space where some odd control is being wielded like a hammer. No, time is completely without meaning everywhere. There is no time frame for happiness or grief, no schedule for when one is truly an adult or when one experiences sweeping change. To give it meaning, we need to find the resources within ourselves and call out to those who matter, who can give our time something approaching meaning. I think I'm calling from Elm Lake. Look, I can't be certain. This definitely isn't any Elm Lake that I'm familiar with, and I've been in a few of them. This isn't the nest that I know and love. I'm still here, with Amelia, who appears to be growing antsy. Behind the counter is Lorraine, who isn't Lorraine, a walking, talking ghost of the woman who helped point the way so long ago. Or yesterday. Again, time has no meaning. And it's entirely possible that our entire existence here within this version of the nest has been a blink of an eye. Or it could have been years, and we'll leave here with silver in our hairs, wrinkles around our eyes, and a world weariness unearned for having spent so long in one building. I glance over at Amelia, and she's fidgeting with something. I can't see exactly what, but what I can see makes me think it would tuck nicely into my basket. Oh. The basket. I haven't thought of that in so long. Or at least what feels like so long. I miss the simple comfort of walking through the streets, collecting small items, and searching for answers. I think I can hear Marcus coming back now. He's been growing more hunched with each visit, but his eyes continue to burn with a dark fire. His presence brings silence and worry, but no malice. I glance at Lorraine, and she flickers more strongly than usual, and her eyes glance towards the back kitchen. They're still here. Of course they are. They know they can't go anywhere else. Not with any level of safety. There's a darkness on the streets of Elmlike, and it lurks around every corner. Here, they're safe. Here, they're protected. I've made sure of it. 
I've been able to connect with Bill and Rebecca, and I'm sure that they have decided to come to us. George is already on the way, and I'm certain that Jonas will be given his wear, set the scene, and be part of what I'm building here. And then, I can keep them all safe. All, except for Anthony. He seems to be keeping a wide berth. If I see him on the streets, he crosses to the other side, maintaining a distance. Fine. If he doesn't want to be saved, I cannot be held responsible for what happens. He's the one who awoke the darkness anyway. And he's the one who will have to answer for it. I still don't know if I trust her, at least not completely, but I do feel a kinship with her. Jenny looks like she's been through terrible trials and she's worn down by it all. There are dark circles under her eyes and I don't remember how long it's been since she smiled. She did once over a breakfast sandwich, but the first bite took her smile away. It isn't right, she said, even if it is close. She places so much importance in those sandwiches and she has refused to touch any since that moment. The other day, day? Segment of time? Something. Anyway, the other day, I actually attempted to talk to Lorraine. Her flickering actually stopped for a bit, and while her mouth opened, no words fell out. At least, none that I could hear. There's a sorrow etched on her face, and I recognize it immediately. It's the same sorrow I felt in my own captivity. But I'm free now, and I am not going to let Marcus or whoever else is responsible hold us. I have noticed Lorraine's eyes dart towards the kitchen on a regular basis, and I've started to develop a sense for when Marcus will be gone and when he will return. It should be hours, or whatever passes for hours, before he makes his way back. I also know that we'll only get one chance. I look to Jenny, feeling my resolve soften seeing her pain. Then I look to Lorraine, and my resolve hardens again. A slight nod, a glance at the kitchen. I take Jenny's hand and we go. Not looking back, eyes focused forward as we escape into the bright, unending sun. I don't know how long we've been running. My legs burn and my breath starts coming in short gulps. I look to Amelia, and I see a strength I didn't recognize before. She's just ahead of me, scanning the horizon, trying to find a path for us to move forward. She hears it before I do. But then, I am able to recognize the scrape of Angus's axe against the ground. In the other direction, I hear what sounds like chalk etching against a blackboard. I want to head that way, to find what can only be Jorge and to get answers. But Amelia takes my hand and we run again. That's when I realize she's taking us west. She's always been taking us west. Was it yesterday that I spoke to Jorge Sanchez? 
Or was it longer? Either way, ever since he told me to seek out the moon, I've been single-minded in my purpose. I've scoured Elm Lake, trying to find any indication of the moon, but there's absolutely no trace. The sky is still dark, with nothing to help light the night other than our own dim streetlights. And it seems clear that whatever else happened, the moon truly did vanish from the sky. I focused most of my search on Jorge's home and the grounds where we held the moon festival, but so far, I haven't seen any trace of her anywhere. I also haven't seen traces of Jenny or Emilia. Bill and Rebecca Fowler seem to have vanished as well. The town is quiet, and the only people I continue to see are Angus, always from a distance impossible to determine, and Marcus. With the first, the distance is welcome. Second, the distance is manufactured. I don't trust his step, and his smile doesn't look quite human. He has tried to wave me down, but I quicken my step, not wanting to draw close enough for him to enact whatever plan he has. As for my own plans, they keep being foiled. I have looked through all of my notes, charting my path around Elm Lake, trying to find clues as to where the moon has gone. Jorge told me I need to find it, and that it will provide me with answers, and those I've come to think of as companions. So far, though, nothing has made sense, and I've found more dead ends than I have paths towards a resolution. It seems like there are simply obstructions everywhere I turn. I'm starting to lose hope. I feel that hope flagging, however. I think of Jenny Fowler and her strong determinations. I think of Amelia Ashford, who I'm positive has a deep reserve of strength. After pushing through terrors, I can't even imagine. I'm sure that the two of them have been making headway on their own puzzles and I cannot let my drive falter, at least not until I've been able to reconnect with them. I'm not sure why they've been hiding from me, but I can only assume that they have their reasons. Maybe Jenny has created a safe space for them, perhaps even in the Owl's Nest Diner that doesn't always exist. She's spoken so favorably of it, it must be a place that she could use as a home base of sorts, since it's clear that, 
apparently this studio no longer suits her purposes. The dials continue to dance and the lights on the board provide just enough illumination for my purposes right now. I've been trying to sleep because I'm always tired. But the fact that I haven't seen the sun and I don't even know how long makes the prospect of sleep seem purposeless. As I glance around, I notice something resting on the desk next to the note about the moon. It's a rose petal. An old one, but a rose petal nonetheless. It's probably been there for ages, but I've somehow never noticed it before. I pick it up and my mind again drifts. Not to Jenny, but to Lorraine. And George. The bunker. I need to head to the bunker. I leave the studio and I head to the excavation site. Looking down from the hill, I notice the distinctly crescent shape has been carved into the earth with the bunker emerging from it. Something pricks at the back of my mind as I draw closer to the metal structure. I hear the growling coming from within but I push it away from my senses because I need to be here more than I need to be frightened. The growling seems to acknowledge this need and quiet slightly. I reach the base of the structure and begin to walk towards the door. Once it's within sight, I notice a few things. George is nowhere to be seen. The door is open, a yawning portal beckoning something I can't quite determine. And carved above the door, a simple picture. The moon. Jorge was right the moon would bring me answers. I step inside, hoping to discover whatever has been waiting. Elm Lake is waiting. Calling from Elm Lake, Episode 20, Lunar Waves was written and produced by Sean Monahan. The voice of Elm Lake is Sean Monahan. The voice of Jenny Fowler is Emma Sala. The voice of Marcus Grant is Mick Reyna. The voice of Amelia Ashford is Maddie Stewart. 
Opening and closing themes written and performed by Sean Monahan. All other music written and performed by Matt McInnes. Find out more at machinismusic.com. If you'd like a little social media strangeness, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on whichever podcasting app you found our feed. Doing so could help bring new listeners to the call of Elm Lake. If you'd like to support us as we unfold this story, add new voices, and just generally continue to explore this particular creative process, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash callingfromelmlake. Your support will help us continue to grow and expand on the story, and hopefully be able to add even more content within the universe of Elm Lake. Secrets can be found wherever you look. They're only hidden because we forget about them. They're only secrets because we've been taught to not talk about the hidden parts. <laughs>